coming up on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, we catch up with West Coast Eagles AFLW coach Luke Dwyer, coach of the USA Freedom, Christina Licata. Ali Schiller drops by to talk about the Sanford Women's Competition and Lisa Roper reviews the AFL Women's Grand Final. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. And you can hear it via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. Looking forward to catching up with Luke Dwyer shortly to discuss how the West Coast Eagles are preparing for the 2020 AFLW season. Just over the weekend, the USA Freedom had their camp as they prepare for the 2020 International Cup and the 2021 Transatlantic Cup against Great Britain. Uh, that's all coming up a little bit later on in the program. Ali Schiller, as we said, is back with the Sanford Wounds Report. Round six was played over the weekend. And Lisa Kiwi Roper went to Adelaide Oval. She was part of the 53,000 people there to watch the Adelaide Crows take home the AFLW Premiership. And she'll discuss it with us near the end of the program. But first of all, it's time for the latest women's footy news. Well, the W Awards were held on Tuesday night. And before we get to the rising star and best and fairest, let's have a look at the All-Australian team. We'll start with the defenders. Uh, Geelong's Meg McDonald, Collingwood's Ash Brazali, Jess Stuffin from North Melbourne, Tasmania, Adelaide's Chelsea Randall and Carlton's Karen Harrington were the five defenders named in the squad. Across the centre line, Emma Carney from North Melbourne, Fremantle's Kiara Bowers and Melbourne's Karen Paxman. The five forwards include Adelaide's Erin Phillips, North Melbourne, Tasmania's Jasmine Garner, the Western Bulldogs' Monique Conti, Fremantle's Gemma Horton and Stevie Lee Thompson from Adelaide. The on-ballers include Ruck Lawrence and Pierce of Melbourne, the tackling machine Ebony Marinoff from Adelaide and Carlton's Madison Press Parkus. On the interchange five players named Emma King from North Melbourne, Tasmania Carlton's Gabriella Pound the Brisbane Lions' Ali Anderson Adelaide's Anne Hatchard and Fremantle's Dana Hooker The NAB AFLW Rising Star winner this year well, it was no surprise really, it was Madison Press-Parkus of Carlton. Um, I think, obviously, debuting was one of the best days of my life and um, I've always dreamt of it since I started playing footy when I was four. And, um, I mean, yeah, debuting was one of the biggest things ever. And um, But can't go past um, not only kicking my first AFL goal but playing in front of 53,000 people on the weekend against the Adelaide Crows. And to the AFLW League best and fairest, quite frankly, no one else was in the picture, particularly when you're polling 19 out of a possible 21 votes. She scored three votes in five games and two votes in the other two. A stunning performance from the 2017 AFLW Best and Fairest, picking up her second league Best and Fairest title. It is Erin Phillips. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, another year of just incredible moments and I just feel like this year, and as Gil said, it, it really kind of, we really did cement AFLW this season. I feel like our level of play compared to year one to now has just is so different. It's so much better. Um, and that's due to the absolute hard work these girls put into every day, coming in and training, coming after work, um, you know, after study and, and putting it into putting into play. And, um, you know, we got criticised 
first year, second year, and now honestly didn't hear too too much this year. So um, it was it's been pretty special. Congratulations to Erin on a stunning year, winning the Coaches Award, the AFL Players Association MVP, best on ground in the grand final, along with winning the premiership as a co-captain. A truly stunning season. And just quietly, we think she'll probably <laughs> win it quite comfortably, the club best and fairest at Adelaide, which is to be decided next week. Let's turn our focus internationally, and we go to New Zealand, where the inaugural AFL New Zealand Women's Premiership match was played. Uh, round one, which saw the Lions versus the Magpies. The Lions winning by 17 points. Uh, from Canterbury, Adele Gallagher starred, named best on ground and kicked three goals. While over in the Northern Hemisphere, a warm-up for the GB Swans as they took on the AFL London All-Stars. The Swans winning that game 46-38. to 38. With the AFLW Grand Final for 2019 one and done, that means the starters gun has fired on preparations for season 2020. Four new teams will be entering the competition, including the Gold Coast Suns, the Richmond Tigers, St Kilda and the West Coast Eagles. Joining us online now to talk about how the Eagles have been building towards debuting in 2020, we've got on the line their coach in Luke Dwyer. Luke, how are you? Yeah, I'm really well, Peter. Um, you're going well over here in the West, so thanks a lot for the call. First of all, I just want to get your quick impressions on the AFLW Grand Final that was just played on the weekend, not just obviously the result Adelaide winning, but that crowd of more than 53,000, does that kind of uh, get the nerves going for you that, OK, we're on, we're only less than a year away from participating in this? Yeah, I'd, um, I'd be lying if I, I said I wasn't um, watching it with uh, a fair bit of interest. And uh, certainly the, the crowd numbers at Adelaide Oval was, was extremely impressive and, I guess, testament to, uh, to not only Adelaide and Carlton's uh, seasons, but the level of uh, the level of interest uh, that um, you know currently present in the you know in the female game is uh, is super impressive. And you know the two two best teams obviously went at it um, on the weekend, and and certainly Adelaide's um, season has been highly impressive with the way they've. Uh, Probably gotten better and better as the, as the season progressed, and then and obviously uh, capped it off with the with the premiership. Um, you know, rightly deserved. Does that almost put a renewed spotlight on the West Coast Eagles? Because the two biggest crowds so far, we've obviously had the grand final, fifty three thousand. Your local rivals, Fremantle, had uh, more than forty thousand at the Perth Stadium. Um, and it's obviously seemed that West Coast is the bigger of the two clubs in WA. Is everyone talking up all of a sudden, geez, what could the crowd be for the West Coast Eagles' first ever match when you debut in the AFLW? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely exciting. We, we uh, you know, we appreciate Fremantle have been in the AFLW competition for, you know, completed three seasons now. So they certainly have a have a strong following and and. You know, having gone to a few of their home games this year at Fremantle Oval, they generate an, uh, you know, a really electric atmosphere down there. And we, you know, we, we, we as a club, we're we're building in terms of our list, but but obviously we uh, we want to try and produce a uh, you know a brand of football that will attract uh, you know not only uh, young young girls and 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 obviously their families that want to come to our games, but you know, we, we we appreciate that we do have a large uh, membership base with our with our men's program, but 
I'm sure that uh, a lot of those families and and their their kids will uh, will jump on to uh, jump onto our side and and come and support us when we you know when we finally play a game in 2020 and I guess when that game comes against Fremantle it's going to be a fantastic atmosphere we we just can't wait for that uh, you know that situation to occur and you know I'm sure the the supporters will um, will come along and 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 show their support in numbers. Now, Luke, for your personal career before coming across to the women's football side, I believe for you, you were a midfielder at State League men's level in the WAFL, um, almost uh, 150 games uh, with East Perth and Claremont. And then I think it was about 10 years ago you made the switch to coaching? Yeah, that's correct. I did play uh, I did play in the, in the local Waffle men's uh, competition for about 10 years and didn't quite make, uh, reach the 150 mark, but I wasn't wasn't far off it. And my my physical education teaching uh, really worked in well with my footy uh, footy playing days. And then, yeah, it was about 10 years ago. I I made my my way down to uh, the University of Western Australia um, Men's Amateur Club, and I coached there for five years uh, before moving back into the Waffle at East Perth, which was the club I started at. And then over the last two years, I've, uh, I've been full-time uh, at West Coast Eagles in a, in a midfield development uh, role. And then at the end of, uh, end of last year, about October last year, I, I was lucky enough to be offered uh, the head coaching role for, for 2020 AFLW, which is really exciting for me and, and, and something I can't wait, wait, wait to uh, you know, sink my teeth into more. I'm interested to note with your PE teaching background and how that helps to coaching uh, women's football. I, I think of a, a comment made late last year by uh, GWS Giants AFLW coach Alan McConnell where he said the difference between men and women was he said that men felt that they needed to play well to belong where he said with women they needed to feel like they belong to play well. With yourself, how do you see the, the differences in having to uh, coach either men's football compared to coaching women's football? Yeah, it's a question I've been asked a lot, and through through our uh, our club, we've we've actually conducted a ten week uh, academy in that we've invited around forty five of of probably the best uh, local talent in Western Australia uh, that haven't been drafted into the AFLW so far, and that's given me a real really strong taste of of where the female game is at. Um, how how receptive these players are to, to not only the the education of the game but also the, the running of of training sessions that are commensurate with an AFL uh, men's program. Um, there, uh, what I've found is that uh, the female athletes and the female players have such a willingness to to learn and ask questions. Uh, they they're really um, they need to be, I guess, um, showing that w- why they're doing a drill and how it relates to how they're going to play in a game, which is really refreshing as a coach because they they are so uh, receptive to, to what you're trying to teach them. And and certainly it's, it's almost the little things like the thank yous after training in terms of, you know, you've, you've actually helped them improve in, in where they want to get to in their football journey, so so for me, that's it's just been so energising, and and the fact that they're they're willing to learn, and and you know they're so appreciative of it.
So, as you mentioned, you had the Academy um, and talent searches run over the summer. Um, I note a couple of names in there. I think I saw in the photographs Brooke Wright training there, who had played uh, uh, yep. with the WA State team. And interesting to spot Courtney Eugle, who had played uh, originally, I think, the first year with Fremantle, um, and, of course, uh, with Essendon VFLW. She's originally WA Correct. local. And I think I also spotted just recently in a training camp over there, Essendon VFLW footballer Hayley Bullis. Yeah, you've done your homework, Peter. We've uh, we've had all three of those players connect with our academy over the summer. Um, uh, Courtney, in particular, came over for the first uh, couple of weeks of academy at the end of January and and participated in all the trainings and and the education sessions before she headed back to Melbourne to continue her pre-season with Essendon. Brooke, you mentioned her. she's done everything in the program to date. She's She's been fantastic the way she's attacked the 10 weeks. And uh, and Hayley has been with us over the last two weeks uh, and has only just returned to Melbourne, but she really impressed with her her attitude and her effort uh, in training, but just, just her willingness to come over to Western Australia, uh, meet new people, be, be involved in our program and, and connect in. So... We've been we've been really fortunate with the with the girls, a couple of the girls that have come over from the eastern states who uh, have really, I guess, shown our WA talent uh, how how they you know training standards should be, and and but but off the field as well, they've really connected in well and uh, and made it made a, a really positive impact to the academy. You talk about the eastern states. I know you obviously can't mention name names at, at the moment, but how's it been like? try to at least reach out and get some of the talent to come back home? Because I know everyone expected in the first season Fremantle to do well, but the best, I'd say, dozen WA footballers all end up being spread across the country, a number of them hmm. with marquee contracts. So what's it been like for those that have spread out to try and throw the question out to them, would you like to come back home? Yeah, that's that's a fair question. We've, you know, we've certainly... Uh, being a, being a club that hasn't actually played in the AFLW yet, we've, we've I guess, been fortunate to, to keep a close eye on, in particular, uh, the West Australian players that have that have obviously been drafted to interstate clubs. We've, you know, we've maintained um, informal connections and, and communication with them um, over the journey of the season. You know, they've um, some players, um, you know, have have contacted us just for, for feedback and, and the like and and we've been working really closely with our uh, with our list management team and who's headed up by uh, uh, our head of female football in Adam Selwood but it but it does provide a challenge it's uh, you know certainly uh, some Western Australian players have um, gone over and and entrenched themselves into their new new teams and new surroundings and that does provide challenges in terms of um, attracting them back to the West. But we feel as a club we've, we've uh, put some really good structures in place. We've, um, we're just about to move into a new facility at, um, at Lathlane, uh, Lathlane Precinct. And, uh, you know, we, we feel like we're a, we're a club that can really provide a good program and, and an atmosphere where players can develop, and and really we can't we can only be transparent in 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 the discussions that we've had with those players, and you know at the end of the day they have to make a decision uh, based on um, the, the information they have. So 
So that's that's where that sits. You've already signed a couple of players, 17-year-olds, in fact, being Swan District's midfielder Michaelia Bowen and uh, multi-sports star Rosie Deegan. Uh, for you, what stood out about these two players to be given the honour of being the first to put pen to paper with the Eagles in an AFLW squad? Yeah, they the two two players you've mentioned have... Uh, uh, obviously, a little bit different in, in in what they bring to the squad. Michaela has uh, has been playing football um, pretty consistently over the over the last few years, uh, in and also for Western Australia. So she's really impressed us with her her level of maturity, her her willingness to work hard. She's she's a fantastic young young woman. She she really has embraced uh, you know all the things that we've um, put in front of her from an academy sense. Uh, her skills, her decision making are, are really, you know, are really strong parts of her game, and are, and are only going to improve going forward. And I guess Rosie is coming in from a, a I guess, a little bit of a, a different um, path over the last few years. She's uh, concentrated more on her basketball, I guess, um, her, her basketball um, uh, sort of environment and. Which saw her attend the the Youth Olympics, which was fantastic for her. But she's she's really uh, in a frame of mind now where where football is a is a, a big part of her her journey and, and what she wants to do going forward. So we've we've loved uh, having her involved. She's she's a, an athletically very gifted player. She she's working hard on her skills. She's She's, uh, you know, in terms of her ability to to train hard in the gym, she's she's right up there. So, look, we've um, we think we've selected two really good, uh, really good young young females in Rosie and Michaela, and we, you know, we're going to support them and and hopefully uh, see them make a de- make their debut at some stage for for the West Coast Eagles. Now, naturally, we're expecting most of your talent will be recruited out of the uh, WAFL Women's Competition, which making its uh, debut this year. But I'm interested to know in, in two sections that you're possibly having a look at, uh, one being Indigenous and the other being international. First of all, uh, there's always been a large Indigenous community in, in WA, particularly on the men's side of the game, produced some fantastic talent. We've seen on the women's side of the game, for example, Kirby Bentley and the Kirby Bentley Cup named after her, and a lot of Indigenous girls there. We've seen, for example, the Crows... Uh, Danielle Ponta, great young Indigenous girl, kick three goals in the grand final. Uh, what has the numbers been like of Indigenous girls trying to come through and, and in the talent search and the academy to try and break into the Eagles AFLW squad? Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. We we certainly um, realise in Western Australia we do have a strong Indigenous, um, you know, multiple Indigenous communities, and and you know those those players love playing footy. We've, uh, as a club, we we uh, we go down to the southwest of uh, of Western Australia. We've we've gone up into the Pilbara to support um, female camps and and clinics, and and we're always we're always looking uh, looking at those players fairly closely in terms of um, could they potentially be be someone that we look at listing. We've had Indigenous players as a part of our academy: uh, Catherine Dan, Ricky Ryan. Uh, they spring to mind. Um, those those players are obviously playing through uh, Swan Districts in in the uh, the Waffle W at the, at the present. Uh, and you know we we certainly are uh, from a 
an alternate sport point of view. We've we've conducted clinics as well where we we attract not only Indigenous players but players from alternate sports. So we feel like uh, we've still got you know plenty to to improve upon in in terms of um, you know spreading the net even wider throughout uh, Western Australia. But we feel like uh, we are well connected with um, communities not not only in in the metropolitan area but certainly regionally. And, uh, you know, that, that'll continue to evolve as we edge closer to 2020. And, and just to the second point on international players, we saw the Crosscoders program in Victoria late last year and the success that that has sprung, particularly on the Gaelic mm. football side. Obviously, joining Staunton at uh, GWS, we had Yvonne Bonner, who was a regular in the team, Sarah Rowe at Collingwood, uh, McCarthy at the Bulldogs, and, of course, Considine, a premiership player with the Adelaide Crows. We know that there's American and British players coming down to Melbourne to play in the VFLW this year. Um, does that open up the eyes further, particularly with... Ireland and their Gaelic football background to start looking further afield, particularly when it comes to the rookie part of uh, the contracts for the Eagles AFLW squad. Yeah, certainly. Without, um, without, um, I guess, divulging any names, we we're certainly across uh, some players that are currently in Ireland and have uh, have been a part of uh, the Gaelic football um, competition over there, and and we certainly. Are interested in what they could potentially bring to an AFLW preseason. So we're working through that at the moment, uh, and yeah, I, I guess it's it's probably something we uh, we're just keeping a little bit closer to our chest, uh, just because we uh, we feel like um, you know there's there's a lot of different clubs that are that are interested in these players because they do bring a really really exciting and different dynamic to uh, to the game, and uh, you know we. We certainly want to uh, continue to sort of not just be uh, be focused on on local talent, but certainly uh, what what international talent there is out there. And finally, one last question before we let you go, Luke. Um, can you just outline for uh, the women's footy community that are listening, what are the rules pertaining around what you can sign and when you can sign them? And do the Eagles get to play any kind of role, even on the edges around the trade period as well, coming up over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, it's a good question. It's it's obviously a, a little bit more complex for us being an expansion team, but we so we are uh, allowed to obviously with the sign and trade period coming up on the starting on the eighth of April, we're we're currently in discussions with players from from other clubs, which uh, which is you know uh, uh, we are allowed to do that in accordance with the AFL rules. Uh, we can sign up to uh, eight players from. Obviously, our crosstown rivals in Fremantle, who have had a, an amazing season, so that's that's proving a little bit more difficult than we uh, probably anticipated. Uh, we can sign seven of our academy players uh, going forward, so that takes us up to to nineteen. Uh, sorry, not nineteen to eight, seven, so fifteen. Uh, what are we there? Fifteen plus we have uh, Rosie and Michaela that we've signed. We have some rookies that we can sign, and then, and then obviously uh, we go into the draft with five or six picks. So we can we can use those picks to potentially trade uh, with other clubs. Uh, but at this stage, we've we haven't uh, haven't really entertained that yet uh, until we've um, been notified by the AFL on on what particular picks we will have. Uh, we'll, we'll sort of um, sit back on those and and just sort of let let the sign and trade period. Uh, uh, I guess, commence um, as of next Monday. 
Well, Luke, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival Digital Radio. And uh, we wish you all the very best over the coming weeks as you start to sign up those players and then prepare for your first pre-season as a coach. And then, of course, uh, early in the summer next year when you debut in the AFLW. No, thanks a lot. And, um, yeah, thanks for your time, Peter. I just want to take this moment to talk about League Tees com.au If you're looking for some merchandise to really help celebrate women's football, I suggest you go to leaguetees.com.au They've got from last year the famous Pepper Randall Next Question t-shirt. They've also got the Fridge Army t-shirt celebrating the supporters that love Amanda Ferrugia and to mark the AFLW Grand Final and its record attendance at Adelaide Oval on the weekend. They've got the 53,034 button. It's all available at leaguetees.com.au They've also got retro footy t-shirts celebrating Footscray, Melbourne, how about the Tigers, the Saints, the Roos. It's all there. You'll find something that you like for your team at leaguetees.com.au That address, leaguetees.com.au Check it out. Over the weekend, more than 70 American women converged on Peoria, Arizona to train with the USA Freedom Squad in the hope of touring Australia in 2020 for both the International Cup and the USA Liberty Tour and then to tour Europe as part of the Transatlantic Cup in 2021. To talk about how the camp went, we've got on the line the coach of the USA Freedom, Christina Licata. Christina, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Peter? I'm feeling good. You must be feeling fantastic because you spent a few days in sunny Peoria, Arizona. Yeah, exhausted and energized at the same time. You know, just got home uh, a bit ago, but uh, the the weekend was just so successful um, in terms of what we accomplished and, and how many people we had out. So uh, it was great. So before we talk about the camp and uh, everyone that attended, um, you, of course, uh, end up taking on the role post uh, IC 2017. You were uh, given the gig last year. Can you explain to us how you outlined your vision for the USA Freedom, particularly going forward over the next three years? Because you not only have the IC 2020 next year, but you also have the Transatlantic Cup Series coming up in 2021. Yeah, so, you know, I think moving forward for the program, we've always had a focus on development and in, in, in women's football within the program. And and I think that the level of talent that we have in the United States is at a point where we can have a certain eye towards a more competitive team as well. Uh, so that this weekend was really for me to figure out how much of a percentage of our time and focus should we put it, be putting on each of those um, kind of goals. Um, and so that being said, you know, we really want to create a competitive team that is able to go to the IC and, you know, knock off teams like Ireland and Canada who have been so strong over the past couple of uh, international cups and then, you know, in, in the international competition. And so as part of that, um, we are also developing a, a training squad. So um, from the initial group of 
women who expressed interest in the program, which was over 130 women. Um, we are then selecting a training squad of about 50 to 60 people, um, some of whom came to the camp this weekend and some of whom are, you know, dispersed around the country or, or internationally or were not able to attend. Um, and then we'll have another camp in August of 2019 um, where we'll get a better look at them. But, you know, I think th there's just a changing nature um, in terms of talent that's coming into the pipeline in the United States. And so I've, I've uh, assembled a, a group of coaches who are dispersed across the United States so we can really have eyes on footballers all the time and bring people into the fold um, so that, you know, it's not just the one camp or the one the one time where you get this opportunity to actually be part of the program. Um, and ultimately, we'll we'll name the IC 2020 squad at nationals this year um, in October in Sarasota, Florida. And then um, those who don't have the opportunity to travel to the International Cup but have been named to the training squad will also get the opportunity to travel to Europe in 2021 in the summer. And we'll continue to build on that squad moving forward as well. Before heading into this training camp and setting up the program, do you find additional pressure on USA women's football when you look at, I guess, two things? Obviously, uh, first, you went down from third to fourth in the rankings after IC 2017, naturally because the GB Swans came along. And to be fair, particularly with their London competition, they play 18-a-side football more regularly. And also to note, we see that now the Gaelic football girls are really starting to take up Aussie rules and Ireland, as we've seen a number of them play in the AFLW. Added resources are no doubt going into Ireland. So is there almost a sense of catch-up in the USA? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely they are. Those countries are just um, they're they're getting women at an earlier age, and they have an infrastructure that's set up that the United States just doesn't quite have yet because of the size of our country. Um, that being said, I'm really working closely with the USAFL Women's Association to make sure that uh, we are having as many women show up to these games as possible. So centralizing our schedules um, so that if women from the West Coast are willing to travel uh, to a game in the central region, they know when those things are happening. And, and I think just by the nature of the growth of the sport in the United States and how people um, are, are recruiting we're getting bigger teams, more teams that are, you know, developing. And I think, um, you know, we'll be joining the, the division two um, side of things. And so as, as we continue to grow there, I think we, we, we will definitely continue to play catch up, but, um, but the women's association and myself are really focused um, on giving women resources to make sure that one, they have the information on the games, but two, they also have, um, you know, sort of best practices for recruitment. How do you get, get women involved and keep women involved uh, so that, so that this talent pool for the freedom can ultimately grow. Can you outline the program that you set up for this weekend and uh, how many days did it run for on some of the things that the squad went through? 
Sure. So um, I would I would actually say the program started back in January. We've had all of the athletes who um, are trying out for the team on a a training program called Bolt. Um, they they developed a strength and conditioning program for us um, that is custom to AFL um, and specifically to women playing Australian football. So. Um, the, the the girls have been pretty active on that in the lead up, um, and so as such, you know, we we also had a running program that they were on, and so we've been super data oriented um, in in our approach to this, and so have had them submitting time trials to us um, since since January, um, and and also right before camp. Um, the camp started Friday around 2 and uh, ended on Sunday around 1 p.m. Um, so, you know, the, the total amount of time we tried to maximize. Um, on the Friday, the, the women went through quite a few assessments, both on the skill side but also on the fitness side. Uh, we worked with uh, Arizona State um, and who were just, Fantastic! Their sports science department came out, let us, um, you know, use use some timing gates and jumping math, and so we we were able to get a lot of data there. Um, and then, you know, did things like goal kicking assessments, kicking assessments, handballing assessments, um, a yo yo, which everyone loves, right? <laughs> um, and then we we really moved towards more of the gameplay and strategy um across lines on on the saturday doing some some drills there and having three 18 aside games with uh the women which was just really fantastic and and you know my my focus over the last year and a half has really been making sure that the safety of the game is uh, paramount for us in the United States and so we had a specific uh, session on tackling and also had an umpire Q&A where Ryan Wilsmore went over um, you know the, the newly adopted rules that the AFL has come come up with um, you know both what the USAFL will be taking on and, and those that they won't be because we may be seeing that in the IC. And then, and then Sunday really was just fulfilled drills and, and a bit of fun. And um, the the coaches playing a couple jokes on the players as well. So uh, it was good. And, and ending, you know, with some awards and, and positivity. So it was great. Now, I've been reliably told about 70 women attended the camp in Arizona. And I'm told a lot of fresh faces. Yeah. So we, we had over 75 athletes come and... Um, around 30% were returning um, players from from the freedom or liberty. And so, you know, I, I expect that the 70%, we, we expect about a 70% turnover after an international cup year. And so it was just really exciting for us. You know, I've been involved in, in, in women's footy in the United States since basically its inception. And, um, I'm so used to knowing everyone. It really got me sort of out of my 
out of my element because there are just so many women who I'm like, oh, I've never, I've never seen you. I've never heard your name. I've never seen your face. Um, so it was, it was very exciting to see so many new, new people there and, um, and just the, the talent and passion that they have for the sport. Um, so, so it was just great. Comparing to what you saw on the 2017 International Cup and the USA Liberty Tour, which was the first ever winning record uh, Liberty Tour, how much have you seen the skill go up over just the last year and a half? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's pretty incredible how much the skill has gone up. And, and it, I, I give credit to um, our team as well, uh, who have given some pretty amazing feedback to these players. Um, and I, and I see players being able to implement that feedback a lot quicker. Um, and so even over the weekend, we saw a huge development, you know, from, from Friday on those assessments to what they were doing by the Sunday and how, how their kicks were coming off and how they were handballing. So, um, you know, it, it, it was, um, it was just a weekend of, of great development, I think. Um, so super pleased about that. And as you mentioned, not all players could attend the camp in Arizona. Notably, you've got two Austra- got two in Australia at the moment, uh, being April Lewis and Jess Blecker, uh, both looks destined to play in the VFLW this year. Yeah, that's that's incredibly exciting for us. We have a couple more players um, who are under the radar as well out in Australia, um, which is which is just fantastic. I think the the opportunity to play football in Australia, to be part of a club, to train regularly, to have those games every week, um, it's just incredible and and really catapults these players development. Um, and so we're working very closely with them to make sure that one, we, we understand what their training program is and, and sort of don't get in the way in that of that, because, um, you know, if they're training with a VFLW club, I, I want them to be doing that training program and, and doing well for the team there. And, um, you know, we've all, we've also been in contact with our coaches as well. So what's next on the calendar for those trying out for the Freedom and Liberty squads? Yeah, so um, what will be next is basically the the coaching staff will be announcing the training squad here um, in about two to three weeks. Actually, I'd say three weeks. Um, and then from there, we'll continue to work with them remotely, um, giving them some vision from the camp, having them assess that themselves, um, and then see where they come back to us, with, uh, you know, what they come back to us with. Um, so there'll be a lot of sort of remote uh, development. Um, and then August will be the invite-only camp. We'll be having that in Racine, Wisconsin. So the, the anyone who's selected for the training squad will be invited to that, as well as that talent that we identify throughout the regular USAFL local season um, on the lead-up 
to that camp. So that's what we'll really be working towards. Um, and at that camp, you know, we'll be able to sort of shift our focus more to building that team camaraderie and, um, and, and playing more games. Well, Christina, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RACN Carnival. Well done on a successful camp with the Freedom and Liberty, and we wish you best of luck as you continue to build to IC 2020 and the Transatlantic Cup in 2021. Thank you, Peter. And I would be amiss just not to mention all of the volunteers and my and my staff who came out to help as well as um, the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York, who sent a team of doctors. They were amazing. Um, and so it takes many hands make light work. And, and we had over 100 people at the camp, so I couldn't be uh, more pleased. And- and, and I think the players just showed the things that we're working towards, which are, you know, hard work, openness, and, and that team first mentality. So I couldn't be more pleased. And thanks for having me. I, I so appreciate it. Round six of the Sanford women's competition was played over the weekend. And the woman keeping an eye on that is Alison Schiller from the Two Crows podcast. And it's great to have her on the line. Ali, first of all, happy premiership to you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you very much. Um, I've never had a more pleasurable and painful experience all at the same time. Ecstatic with a win, um, oh, but losing Erin and Chloe here, that really took a shine off it, to be brutally honest. Our hearts going out to both Erin Phillips and Chloe Shear. And can I just say, uh, again, what a tremendous standing ovation Erin Phillips got as she came oh, off the ground. Absolutely, and props to all the Carlton fans and Carlton players as well. Um, that's what our sport's all about. That, that love and care, I've never seen that. And I've been to Adelaide Oval many times. Um, and for the crowd numbers of 53,000 there for a game that no one was interested in um, was absolutely spectacular. So thank you for all of SA for getting around it. And well-deserved to the girls. Loved every second of it except for those two intervals where the two players were injured. Well, we're running a tight ship today, so we're going to have to fly through our Sanford Women's Report. Let's have a look at round six that was played over the weekend. Three games on the Saturday, one on the Sunday. Uh, first of all, at uh, Peter Motley Oval, uh, Norwood 4-8-32, defeated Glenelg 3-3-21. Yeah, Norwood maintained their perfect season with six on the trot, and yet again the pain continues for the Tigers, who have lost three in a row now. And they're just holding out the team below them on the ladder with percentage. Tigers led most of the stats, including kicks, tackles, clearances and rebound 50s. But the Red Legs absolutely dominated ruck and inside 50s and the scoreboard reflected this. After last week's point fest for the Tigers, they were quick to make amends. And within a minute, Bonnie Wells slotted the first through for them. Hannah Dunn was yet again dominant for the Red Legs, while Caitlin Gould was a standout for Brunel. The disposals for Norwood, Dunn 26, Hollix 20, Pre 16, Armstead 15, Meyer 12. Brunel, Golden Packer on 15, Trevina 12, and Freeman on 11. The goals for Norwood, all singles there by the second birth, same as the first, Dunn, Hollick, Smith, and Armistead. And for Linnell, Bungie, Franson, and Wells. Norwood are sitting pretty on top of the ladder while Glenelg's luck has ended and they slip to fourth spot. And in the second game of Peter Motley Oval, Sturt 5 1 31, went down to the West Adelaide Bloods 6 7 43. Yeah, well, this could have been the upset I was waiting for. The Double Blues burst out of the blocks, kicking four goals to one, with Sturt holding an eight-point lead even at half-time. A charge led by Madison Newman and prolific goal kicker Chelsea Biddle, who kicked four for the match, turning the tables with West kicking away, securing a ladder-climbing win. 
Disposal to West Newman 21, Biddle 20, Ballard 18, Smith 14 and Owen 12, Bestert Swanson 16, Fraser and Ridge 15, Harris 13, Baker 12, and also of note there, uh, Dreco for Sturt had 29 hit outs. Goals for West, Biddle with a magnificent four, Elsgood and Maidman with singles for Sturt, Swanson 2, Maple Hall and Prenzler 1. Sturt now sits seventh in seventh spot, but the Winfies Westies jump the Tigers to claim third spot on the ladder with things starting to tighten up in the race for the finals. And on the third game on Saturday, the reigning Premier South Adelaide, 9-7-61, easily accounted for the Central District Bulldogs, 1-3-9. Yeah, so playing an informed South Adelaide at home was going to prove difficult for the old Bulldogs. Remove Jess Sedgner and Caitlin Rosen's wife from your team, and that's just a bridge too far. The Bulldogs got sent back to their kennel with their tail between their legs. The reigning Premiers won possession count 273 to 166 and inside 50s by amazing 44 to 12. With all this in mind, the Bulldogs actually led at half time. They actually held south to one goal at the main break and then all hell broke loose and the Bullies didn't score again while the Panthers piled on eight goals to six. For the disposals for south, Kavoris and Charlton on 22, Campbell and Hammond on 20, and Munyard on 18. For the Bulldogs, Stuart 23, Demi Sonneman and Jamie Lee Sonneman, the 13 and 4 on 10. Goals for South, we had Walker Murphy on 4, Charlton, Campbell, Godin, Kirk and Munyard all with singles. South would absolutely be loving this much-needed percentage boost to keep them close to the red legs as they maintain their second spot. And also South get another Powerade Breakthrough Player nominee with Indy Tahu getting the big tick. And also of note there, the four goals kicked by Walker Murphy. She's a 17-year-old that burst onto the scene last year with South kicking four goals in her first ever game. So that's a big tick for her. Central still sits sixth on the ladder. And in the standalone game on Sunday, Woodville West Torrens 1-2-8. No match for North Adelaide Roosters 8-9-57. Oh, cock-a-doodle-doo to the Roosters outfit here, Peter. Kelly Boltrop has also set a new goal-kicking record for the SANFLW. Uh, mind you, though, the Eagles defended as though their lives depended on it, and I think the point score there for the Roosters reflects that. It stopped them from getting a much higher score and boosting that percentage even further. So props to the Eagles for their hard work. The Roosters played a wonderful team game to come away with a win. Boltrop's Hall saw her overtake the two previous best goal-getters, and they sat on 15, respectively. Again, they were both actually North Adelaide players. And in 2017, these names might sound familiar. One was Chloe Shear. I'm still wearing a black armband for her. And in 2018, it was Caitlin Rosenswide. So the disposals for North, North, Von Birdo 22, Daniel Ann Perry on 19, Tynan on 18, Greek and the awesome Emma Sampson on 14. For the Eagles, the Savage on 19, Tab 14, Usher 13, Farrier and Walker on 12, Foles there, Baltrop 3, Samson Davies 2, Reynolds 1, and the Eagles Glover kicking the singles there. North are only held out now the top four by percentage, and that's only a 1.7%, while the Eagles are still clinging on to eight spot. Let's have a look for your tips for round seven. Uh, Friday, Twilight Football at ACH Group Stadium. Uh, Glenelg Tigers versus the South Adelaide Panthers. Yeah, the Roosters will be watching this game really closely as they eye off access to fourth spot on the ladder. Will the Panthers catch a tiger by the tail? In this big game hunting event, I predict the Panthers to continue their launch for top spot and the Tigers to be lamenting their fourth loss in a row. 
South for me there, Peter. Saturday morning at Peter Motley Oval, the Sturt Double Blues host the Woodville West Torrent Eagles. Yeah, so can Sturt get their second win of the season or can the Eagles get their first? The Eagles have been working hard and an upset could be on the card, but I will give the Double Blues the home ground advantage. Sturt for me. Late afternoon football at Prospect Oval on the Saturday. The North Adelaide Roosters playing host to the West Adelaide Bloods. Yeah, now this is my pick for game of the round. North Adelaide found a bit of form and West were pushed by Sturt. Roosters have a superior percentage and could leapfrog from a fifth to as high as third. And it's a question of who wants it more. I think also any returning AFLW players will affect the outcome of this and potentially other games. My heart says north, my head says west. So we'll see which way that one pans out. And in the final game of the round, Saturday late afternoon football at ex-convenience Oval, Central District Bulldogs play host to the Norwood Redlegs. Yeah, the Bullies are at home and they'll be bearing their teeth to those Redlegs too. Can this Norwood outfit lose is the question. Can the Bullies bounce back after a pantsing by the Panthers? Going out on a limb here to predict the upset of the season or not? So the red legs should win, but footy is a funny game. And there has to be an upset at some stage during the season. This could be it. Well, Ali, thanks again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Just quickly, where can people find the Two Crows podcast? Yeah, so hashtag Two Crows footy. It's also at Two Crows podcast, TWO for the two. You'll find us there and we're recording tomorrow. Over the weekend, the AFL Women's Premiership was won by the Adelaide Crows in front of more than 53,000 fans at the Adelaide Oval. One woman who was there to witness it all is the person behind our most popular segment, Coach Kiwi's Kiss of Death. It's great to have on the line Lisa Kiwi Roper. Coach Kiwi, how are you? I am very, very good. I'm uh, recovering from such a huge weekend. but. Um I'm going good. Well, let's talk about that because there's no kiss of death when it comes to a tipping sense this week because all has been said and done. But you actually had the privilege of flying over with your partner to the Adelaide Oval to be one of 53,000 to witness the Adelaide Crows defeat Carlton and take home their second AFLW Premiership. Yeah, it, that that was just a huge, huge crowd that turned up and um, created a pretty awesome atmosphere. And um, for all the theatre that went on on the on the grass, um, that crowd was um, well deserving of it. It was um, it was fantastic. The final result in the end: ten three sixty three to two six eighteen. Another dominant performance by the Adelaide Crows. And I guess it just summed up their season. They only really had that one blemish, that first game where they just could not kick straight against the Western Bulldogs and lost by a point. And they only kicked one goal at 11, I think it was. Um, And since then, they've just been constantly piling on the score and pummeling sides into the turf. Yeah, you know, they they really did that throughout the season. And I think they just got stronger and stronger. And um, perhaps they took a lot out of that first game with that inaccuracy goal. And um, and they lost that game. So that, you know, would make everyone go back and, and kick a little bit better afterwards. And I think from then on, all the other teams copped that um, renewed uh, goal-kicking spite they had. But um, the grand final, I, you know, it, I think it was actually a closer game than perhaps the scoreboard looked. There was only really the one quarter that Crows kicked a heap of goals. And um, for the rest of the game, I think the second half, 
It was only one goal three from both teams in the second half of the game. Um, Carlton had a couple of chances, but it was eight score shots to 13. So the scoreboard probably doesn't suggest how close um, it was. And, you know, sitting there, even though you knew the result was done by half time, sitting there, just the way that the players went about their tackles, their spoils, the humongous marks, um, you know, you would think it was it was still one point in it. It was, you know, both sides really, really played a really hard contested game of football. It was great. That quarter you talk about was the second term when Adelaide put on six goals, two against Carlton's one goal, one. The highlight, of course, being uh, Chloe Shears' big leap and mark about 65 metres out from goal, then playing on quickly, swinging around, pumping it long. So I think it was Ponder in the goal square who took it with glee and then from about two or three metres out just went bang and put it between the big sticks. At that moment then, you knew not only was the momentum with Adelaide, but they were going to run away with it. Really, really the goals they got were really, really good goals. And um, Hosking, one of the Hosking twins sort of fell into the fullback role. And I thought she was she was outsized, as were most of their back line, were just really outsized. And the bodywork that Adelaide players did when the ball came in was just immense. And, you know, if you if you can't compete with somebody else coming at you with such strong bodywork, then um, you are going to cough up a lot of goals. And, and unfortunately for Carlton, that's really what happened in that quarter. They were just outsized, outbodied and outplayed. And um, and that goal, that particular goal was, was a ripper goal. It was a whole heap. And I'm sure that that mark by Chloe Shear is going to be on replay over and over. And probably for her during her recovery, she's probably going to watch it a lot, the ball bugger. So if we have a look at some of the best players on the day before the obviously best on ground, Anne Hatchard um, rated, I think, on the on the match rating points as the best on ground across the, all four quarters, um, though that might be doing a disservice to the eventual best on ground winner. But with Hatchard, she has certainly been the player that's flown under the radar this year. I mean, we, we, the name pops up every now and again, but for whatever reason, it's never popped up in the same reverence as we talk about Aaron Phillips or we talk about Chelsea Rand. But my God, has Anne Hatchard been really important to the Crows this year? Oh, she was outstanding. And I think she finished with um, most possessions too from um, stats from the overall game. Um, and sometimes, you know, we used to have a saying in Sydney that it was always going to be the blonde midfielders that, that got the umpire's vote. And, you know, there could perhaps have been that. Um, I think Erin at the time was leading possessions when she got injured and finished fifth overall. So even though she didn't partake in probably... A big chunk of the second half, she had already done enough during the game, I guess, to get those votes. But, um, but yeah, definitely, I think Anne Hatchard uh, was really important for Crows. And the other one I think that goes under the radar is Chelsea Randall. I think you know she'd be for most coaches, she'd always be your first pick player um, if Erin wasn't available. And the work she did, and I don't know if they even count every spoil because she, she flies through the air to those contests. If she's not marking it, she's got just enough of a hand in there to stop someone else marking it. And, um, you know, she does a phenomenal job all around. She marked up on Taylor Harris in the first half of the game and really stopped Taylor getting a lot of ball. But she was able to run off Taylor and then stop others getting the ball. Like she was just, she's just an incredible athlete, um, 
in her movement around the field and her reading of the flight of the ball is just amazing. It is the second grand final where Randall has shut down Harris. Uh, of course, Harris playing for the Lions in the first grand final, which uh, Adelaide won in 2017, and of course this year in 2019. More on Harris in just a moment. Uh, but other players we look at, Ebony Marinoff just kept doing Ebony Marinoff things, just tackling, tackling, tackling. Uh, Allen as well, fantastic. Um, and if we look at the goal kickers as well, the, the shy Danielle Ponta from Darwin, three goals, fantastic in, in a grand final. That's great for NT football. And great, by the way, just quickly to see Doc Clark acknowledge the NT partnership uh, when giving his speech before uh, accepting the Premiership Cup. And uh, also amongst the goals, Ailish Considine, Boy, is that a big shot in the arm for the Crosscoders program to have someone uh, from their program play in a premiership team, kick a goal in a grand final. And it's, it should be pointed out that she's not just a pure Crosscoder uh, coming across from Gaelic football, but she did have a little taste of it before the Crosscoders program when she played in the AFL Ireland women's competition in their sevens uh, with the West Clare Waves. Yeah, yeah, she yeah has has had a little bit. It's funny before the game we were kind of talk about what we wanted to see. <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, and I said you know I'd love to see Ailish get a goal, Crows win, and you know I can go home. I didn't expect her to kick so early on, and my friends turned to me and went, "Well, there you go, Q, you can go home now." <laughs> um, but you know her goal was a ripper goal that she um, you know got when the ball just popped over the back and then she just snapped it through. It must be such a small little. Um, avenue that she was able to pop that ball through on that angle. Um, but, you know, she did well and Ponta did extremely well. You know, she cracked some awesome goals. And even Stevie Lee, she caught quite a serious injury, which I think at the time we thought it may have been a knee. So there was a bit of a hush in the crowd when she first went off. So it was good that she came back on. But um sounds like she's injured her ankle a little bit. Um, but, you know, she got some good goals as well. And um, probably just Foley. She played really, really well. Was unlucky not to get a couple of um, goals herself. But yeah, they, you know, they had contributors all over the field. And um, yeah, Marinoff was very strong in the middle. Even Renee Fourth coming forward, she played, um, you know, really well compared to how she probably played last year for the Giants. Sadly, um, but you know, good honour for stepping up. And and Sarah Allen, um, you know, I've known her for a few years now, and seeing her develop, what an outstanding fullback she's become. But she even played, you know, quite. She ran a lot from the fullback role and created options out wide, so they were able to get around Carlton that way and take the ball forward. So, um, outstanding game plan and just the way they linked together and played as a unit was just so awesome to see. When you think about the young ages of Danielle Ponta, Aloise Jones, Sarah Allen, Ebony Marinoff, when you think how young they are, all twenty-one and under. That is frightening that that is, you know, that is an era of Adelaide Crows that is going to be around for more than 10 years. And there will be at least Crows, you would suspect, for another five or six with no sign yet of Port Adelaide on the horizon coming into the competition. And um, it, it being very difficult, I guess, for any of the other clubs wanting to try and raid SA talent. Well, yeah, exactly. I, I think and that's probably the beauty of the Crows is that, you know, they have got a couple of WA players in there, but, you know, those key youngsters that are in there with, you know, at least 10 years in them, you would think that they would stay in the Crows squad and um, and 
Stags is going to be a very, very strong team to beat for, for a long time now. And uh, also I should mention another youngster, of course, Chloe Shear, 19 years old. Uh, she did her knee, which was terrible to see. This would be the second ACL for her in three years. Distraught that she's having to go through uh, this, but I guess if anything, people can comfort her in the light of day going, look, kid, when you come back, you're 20, 21, you've got more than a decade of football in front of you and you've already proven after coming back from the first ACL, you're going to be a star. Well, you know, exactly. In the bit of the game she played, I think she proved some of those credentials right there and then. And to get up on the back of, um, I can't remember who it was. Uh, I can't remember, but, you know, it wasn't wasn't a small player that she got up on. So, um, you know, that's some talent to do that and the timing of it. And then not only that, she can't, she just knew, wheel around quickly and get the ball forward onto um Danielle Ponta's right shoulder and give her a chance to kick the goal. So fantastic game awareness as well. I've always said, pardon the interrupt, I've always said the best footballers are the ones that think two steps ahead. Not only this is the action I'm going to do, but once I complete that action, I know where to go to immediately next. Yep, exactly. If you, yeah, if you can think fast and know the next play or can you know predict the next couple of plays, then absolutely you'll be in the right position and um, move the ball correctly and, and that's what we try to develop in the young kids and some get it, some don't and obviously the ones that get it end up becoming household names. <laughs> but yeah, the crowd was, um, there was a great noise at the field and when Chloe went off, it just went silent. You could just hear people go, not another knee. It's, you know, I think it's been mm. just on everyone's minds this season about how many knees there have been and even the men's game, I think there were three last week or three in round one. Um, and so, yeah, there was a hush in the crowd um, until she went off and everyone clapped her. And, and then game back on and a whole lot more. And then when Aaron went down again, another, oh, no, you know, there's real silence. So, um, you know, that was an incredible moment when everyone stood for Aaron. She went off on the trolley. Um, and the players that went over and gave her a hug. And at the end, um, Chloe went back out on the, on the trolley to do her lap with the cup and... Um, a lot of the Carlton players went over and gave her a big hug as well. So awesome sportsmanship on display um, for a game, you know, so much at stake. It just sort of proves that they're, you know, characters of the game and ambassadors of the sport outside of um, putting their bodies on the line for for um, a trophy. Let's talk about it right now. Pre-AFLW, Daisy Pierce was the biggest name in women's football. I hate to tell Daisy, and all respect to her, because I know she's had to take the uh, season off as she's given birth to twins, but there is no way that Daisy Pierce is now the biggest name in women's football. There is one name and one name alone. That is Erin Phillips, her second best on ground uh, in a grand final. And in the third quarter, when the knee happened, the silence of the crowd, and then... As captured on Channel 7, that emotional moment, and well played by Jason Bennett and the commentary team, just essentially goes silent for about 30 to 45 seconds while the cart was wheeling Erin off the ground. Because there was a fear at age 33 that this might be her last season, although she's kind of indicated that she's keen to come back for another go. But the standing ovation and the respect from the opposition players and on Twitter, the respect from... Every other AFLW player for Erin Phillips shows the high regard that this woman has held in Australian women's sport and in Australian sport in general. Oh, you know, it was incredible. And even when we talked about it, and we were talking about it yesterday with um, when I'm, I'm in Sydney doing the Giants Women's Say podcast, it just brings the tears back because you just think, did we just witness 
our greatest AFRW player leave the field on a car, you know, and I hope he comes back. I really, you know, it was very emotional in the grandstand and such huge respect. And I think that's what a lot of people were feeling was, you know, really hope this is not the last we've seen of her. And she's exciting to watch. And I don't think it matters what, what club you support. If she's out in the field, you're just happy to, to see her take those marks that she takes. And, um, and you know, even the way she kicks the ball, she's just got, you know, quite uh, a really good technique about everything that she does. And um, and apparently she's been changing her running style as well to adapt from the type of running that basketball is that's different to the AFL type of running. So um, really sad to see that it was, you know, it's pretty much a deceleration is what, she's done because she didn't do it in any contact or any tackle it's just she's just decelerated to change direction and her knees popped and um just just really sad that it's gone that way I guess but um yeah phenomenal phenomenal athlete but just for our sport what she's done and brought everyone in is just fantastic as we said, best on ground, her second out of the two premierships. Um, and as well, uh, it was only from a two-and-a-half quarter performance when you look at it, but she kicked two goals and she was just so dominating in those two-and-a-half quarters. So Phillips and Shear both with knees. Let's have a look at the side that did not win the um, Carlton Blues. We'll talk about... The, they're reporting one injury first. They're saying that Taylor Harris has done a knee, but they're not saying how serious, if it's just a knock or, or, or what have you. But the facts are the facts for Taylor Harris, the second grand final in a row uh, for 2017 and then a 2019 performance uh, where she's been held quiet by Chelsea Randall, which seems to be her kryptonite. It, it is a worry in one aspect that here is a player that is a marquee or as they call now tier one player that has gone missing on the big stage. I know St Kilda fans will say the same thing about Stuart Lowe in 1997. Where were the big hands on the big stage? Um, but I guess in another fair respect, and I, I do note that Paige Card, uh, Cardona online, uh, uh, super coach Paige had a real crack at uh, Taylor Harrison. I've been in the, the critics' boat quite frequently about her goal-kicking technique and getting better disposal efficiency, etc. But I did also say one thing that for centre-half forwards, at least in the men's game anyway, they don't really seem to establish themselves to about 24, 25 in their mid-20s when they become a bit more mature, they bulk up, and then they turn into beasts and just absolutely ragdoll opponents. I've got a feeling that is the same for Harris. We can't really judge Taylor Harris as much as we can judge her now, we can't judge the whole aspect of her career to maybe 24, 25. And if by that stage she hasn't become the beast, then it's fair to say, okay, she's she's a fail. She hasn't worked out. So she's got time on her side. But I also fear Kiwi at the same time. I know she's into her boxing. That's part of her career. But as Madison Press Parker, her teammate has shown, is coming along as an under-18, um, the game is developing so quickly. Harris may be forced to make a decision soon between one or the other if she's to excel at either of the sports and really take herself to the next level. Yeah, you know, um, female bodies or female athletes actually don't get to their peak until around about the age of 27. So um, when you look at that and the, how young our league is, if they stay in there and stay healthy, there's going to be some really awesome games coming up in years to come. And, you know, quite likely with Taylor, you know, it will take her a few years to um, to um, develop. Um, but I have to say, like I was watching, we were down the Carlton there when they warmed up and um, and 
And so, you know, I like to have a look at what they're doing. And she shanked a couple. Mm. And usually when players shank a little bit in their warm-up, they shake it off and they get another one and they knock it straight through. And she just kind of, her head was just dropping a little bit. Mm. And and that said alarm bells to me because that just sort of was like, you know, are the nerves getting the better of her? She's not shaking this off. She's not, you know, she had a couple of straighter shots, but she just didn't seem to, you know, pop her shoulders back and do it with much confidence. And um, and at the end of the first quarter, I was watching her walk off and I thought she was crying. And I said to the others around me, I go, can you see, like, it looks to me like she's crying as she's gone into their huddle. And she didn't actually go into the huddle with the other forwards. She went directly to one of the trainers and was talking straight with the trainer. So she was in a lot of discomfort. And I don't know what it was early on, but I think the second quarter she came out with some calf taping mm. on one of her legs before she did the knee knock with Bree Davies. So um, whether that was something she could feel before the game as well, and that may have troubled her or just the nerves or that she knows she's in the grand final and last time, you know, was in a team that lost as well. So, um, yeah, it could have been a whole lot of factors in. But, yeah, I don't think um, – I definitely don't think we saw the best of her. Whereas, you know, last week in the prelim final, she played outstanding. Um, and I thought, you know, the the way that probably Carlton played their forwards, they, you know, play very high up the field for a lot of it. And – some of their midfields were getting caught or getting spoiled um, off the boot because they were waiting for a forward to, you know, drop back long so they could kick to them. And um, even even Bree Moody wasn't really that deep. So um, I felt they just didn't really have a good tall target down deep like they had done against Fremantle. And later in the game, they had even Darcy running off the half-back line, which, um, you know, I, I thought then they were popping the ball down. They just needed someone to... Um, you know, spin around and snap a goal. And if anyone's going to do that, that's your little Darcy Vessio kind of player. But she was up up the other end just watching on. So, yeah, some interesting tactics. And whether that was because of the injuries, um, I don't know how bad Bree Davies is either because she lived mm. a bit after that knee knock. Mm. Um, so, um, and, you know, and that was just, you know, they put Taylor in to, to get some, I guess, some hands on the ball and change things up a little bit in the midfield. And they just both went hard at it. So, Carlton was still going very hard and really wanted to do something, and it was just unfortunate they ran into each other. But, well, um, one quick thing on, on Taylor House, where I, I also bring up some other players as well. I know it's been celebrated um, in social media after the original negative comments and now it's all something put on T-shirts, badges, etc. The, the famous Taylor Harris kick, I actually said nothing of it because I was actually critical of the action about her arm and how she kicks, how her arm comes across her body. I spoke, or actually listened to um, three years ago, Tom Ellis, uh, the coach of the USA Revolution uh, men's side in uh, Aussie rules and how he's developing Americans to kick the Australian rules football. And they built up a program called Kick Builders, a a three-week intensive program where it's all about muscle memory. And the one thing they've talked about and they compared the Harris shot to the EJ Witten shot, and the EJ Witten shot highlights it best about putting, if you're a right-hander, putting your left arm out, not across your body, but out, and it's to stabilise the core and therefore to help with greater accuracy. And the one thing that I wondered with the Harris uh, action with the arm coming across her body is that's what creating the shank, that she hasn't got the even weight across the core. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. She often starts with the left arm out. It's probably not out enough, but what she does in her big split style action 
the sheath throws so much into it. So the arm does swing back across as the shoulders come forward. So um, the photo with the, with the arm across is actually a little bit after she's kicked the ball. So early, if the photo was a little bit early in the kicking, her arm would have been a little bit out. And there's, there's quite a lot of players that have done the kick where they've started with the arm out also and it's come across. And I think it just comes down to how much she's really throwing into um, into that action, how much energy she's putting in. And so that's probably how the arm comes back in across. Uh, but, yes, you are right. That That's how we teach the drop punt is um, – and, and with these little kids, we actually call it like doing backstroke. So, you know, if you're kicking with your right foot, then your left arm goes like a backstroke sort of lever. And that's exactly what it is, is to counter that balance and um, and hopefully help to kick through. Um, but, you know, she may then need to have her kick adjusted a little bit like how they work with Buddy Franklin and, you know, perhaps round the corner may work a little bit better for her rather than the straight drop punt. Um, and that may reduce some of those shankings. So, yeah, there's definitely some improvement she can do. And, you know, she's only she is only 21. We've been speaking so, a lot of times on Harris. We should be speaking about some of the other players. Nicola Stevens did well, named second best on ground for Carlton. Uh, of course, she was originally a Collingwood footballer, <laughs> moved across in 2018. Madison Press-Parkas, what a game from her, finishing in, in the best, kicking a goal as well. Proves that uh, she's willing to step up on the big stage. That's good signs for Carlton coming here because she's only 18 years old, and uh, that's a real positive sign. And Brianna Davey, did as expected. Stood up, best on ground for Carlton, was the captain that led the way. Just sadly for her, and I think of, of Carlton overall, yep. there's probably just not enough elite troops behind her like Adelaide do. And to be fair, I reckon that kind of highlights the conference system, as in Carlton really shouldn't have been in the grand final. You would have hoped, to, well, obviously Frio had their injuries, but you think North Melbourne would have been a better challenger. If it was a top five system, top four, top five, and Carlton snuck in, you would have gone, okay, they're a side, they've just hit the finals for the first time, they're starting to grow. They didn't feel like a team worthy of a grand final, but that said, they did feel like a side where, add a few more bits and pieces, and in two years' time, perhaps, then they might be ready for a genuine crack. Yeah, well, I kind of look at how they've played all year, and some of the football they've played has actually been some really good football, um, they just have moments or quarters where they haven't executed really well and they've let the other team come back and kick to, kicked more goals. And um, it just looked towards the tail end. They did improve a lot. They improved as a unit. And the way they played against Fremantle, uh, they were just outstanding. And, yeah, Fremantle were hit with a couple of injuries, um, was really, you know, bad. But, you know, Fremantle was still a very strong team. And Carlton just really enforced that they could play some good football and perhaps they played their grand final a week too early um, you know because it just looked to me that everyone stood up uh, in that prelim and you know perhaps Maddie Prasparkis didn't they didn't rely on her to do everything it was you know everyone contributing whereas other games is probably where Maddie stepped up a little more and carried a bit more and Bree stepped up a bit more and um, you know, and I thought the grand final, Maddie did some great things. She probably wasn't as influential as she had been early in the year. Um, yeah, Bree Davis was outstanding. Um, even Charlotte Wilson, the young, um, she's another fresh draftee in the group in the back line number 20. She, she made a rundown tackle and saved, the, you know, saved a goal. And you know, they did have some other, um, or they have got some other players 
starting to contribute. And you are right. I reckon, you know, in a couple more years, they, they're going to be quite a force as well. Um, but, you know, I just think the conference system, you know, all the clubs agreed that this is how they were going to play it. They all knew they had to get in the top two. And some may have had some easier teams to play against. Some may have had some tough teams to play against. It's just the luck of the draw, I guess. But um, and I just thought Carlton did play some good football throughout the season. Um, and came right at the right end of the season. So I think, you know, perhaps um, Kangaroos got their wins early on in the year, but were they really tested early on as opposed to later on when they came against the harder teams? It's sort of hard to to sort of say could one be more worthy than the other. I think if you get the results at the right time, then, you know, you've won your spot. And most people would have thought it was going to be Frio and um, Adelaide, both Conference A teams in the final. So... You know, I think Carlton played the right game at the right time and um, and probably just got tired by the time it came to Sunday. And when we say... And when we say clubs agreed on the conference system, I'd put that in inverted commas. When the AFL is paying the wages bill, I've got a feeling the AFL is saying, this is what we're doing and you shall agree. <laughs> It's that type of agree. Well, they all have um, they all have a representative from each club in the competition committee, and so they sit down and they come up with the ideas of how they think it should go and how it should work and all of that, and um, and they put that back to the AFL. I think what the problem actually is is the window the AFL wants to play in. Mm, mm. So you know they've been given this window and they've just said, well, the only way it's going to work is if we do the conference and we have some crossover games. So if they keep that same window next year, it'll probably be a conference or a pool A, pool B that doesn't have crossovers. Whereas really what we need is a longer window. We really want to extend the season and um, and you know, and then, then we'd probably get um, a better feeling of, you know, who's who's playing enough strong games at the right time. But um but yeah, I don't think we can blame the conference system as much as blame the window that they're allowed to play in is really where I think the problem comes. Well, we best wrap things up because we are running out of time. We look forward to catching up with you again next week, Coach Kiwi, because I want your report card on each side that's uh, played in the AFLW in 2019 and how you rated their season. But the Adelaide Crows, 10-3-63 to Feeney Carlton, 2-6-18 in front of 53,034 fans at the Adelaide Oval to be AFLW Premiers for 2019, their second AFLW Cup. Coach Kiwi, thanks for joining us, and we look forward to speaking to you again next week. Oh, homework. Crikey. That's all good. It's been a fantastic time. And um, yes, I think I'm still maybe a little bit on a high from being part of that 53,000. It was incredible. Well, that concludes Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. Don't forget you can download this program as a podcast by going to our brand new website, wharfradio.com. That's W-A-R-F radio.com. Or by going to our usual places at iTunes, Google Podcasts, and at SoundCloud. Until next Wednesday at 6pm, I'm Peter Holden, and it's bye for now.